Welcome to Mint, the corner of where crypto meets the creator economy. My name is Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. Before we kick off this episode, I wanted to recognize one of the NFT sponsors that's helping make Mint a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3. This episode welcomes Brett Goldstein, co-founder of Launch House. We discuss building communities, creating content, and leveraging capital to explore the era of what Brett believes are digital nation states. We also discuss religion, crypto cults, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Brett, welcome to Mint Season 5. What a big deal. Thanks, man. Season five <laughs> is my favorite, so I'm glad I could be here. <laughs> Let's go. I'm stoked to have you a part of the season. Uh, big topic, or the three major topics for season five were CCO, music, and Web3. Um, and the last one was social media, essentially Web3 social. I feel like you guys have a pretty good creator house going on at Launch House, so there's a lot of coverage to do within those three themes. But before we get started... Who the hell are you, Brett? What does the world need to know about you? We can start there and then work our way forward. I really don't know what the world needs to know about me or if the world even needs to know about me, but uh, I'm Brett. I'm a co-founder of Launch House, which is a, uh, a community for you know, ambitious builders, founders, engineers, investors, anybody, anybody thinking about the future and uh, actually uh, building stuff to make the future happen sooner. So I guess what to know about me, um, been spent my career in startups, um, once had a stint advising the CEO of Google on what apps the kids are using these days <laughs> when I was part of the M and a team, that's a way to describe it. And, uh, really into music on the side. I've produced a bunch of, uh, songs and stuff. I haven't minted them as NFTs. Um, are you but even a musician should... if you haven't minted your songs as NFTs? Is that even yeah. <laughs> if I had the time, honestly, I would. And ironically, before the whole NFT stuff blew up, I was like, man, you know, I would become a musician if I could make some money doing it. And now, <laughs> now, now look at this money. You see the uh, drum set behind me? I was the same. I had the same mentality. So really? uh, both of us are in the same boat. But wait, wait, what kind of music do you play? Um, I produce, I'm like a full stack oh, okay. producer. So I, I produce, I sing, songwrite, everything. Um, wow. so yeah, catch so, me on so, Spot Spotify, Monte Del Monte. Oh shit. I didn't even know that. So at what point did you take a turn from producing and to focus more on startup related stuff? <laughs> um, it's kind of all happened at the same time. So truthfully, like in high school, I was really into music. Like everybody was, you know, in a rock band, probably you were the same. Uh, yes, sir. and, um, obviously growing up, uh, with an ambitious mindset and, uh, a, a, high, a family that pressured me to succeed, I realized that music was not going to be the thing that, um, I succeeded in, uh, even though I, I felt like I was like, I loved it. I felt like I was decently talented in it. I just wanted to go into, uh, tech or something else. I actually started 
going down the academia track. I was, I was exploring kind of building, doing, um, computational cognitive science. And then I was doing music in college and then I graduated, you know, got a job in consulting like everybody does. Mm. And then, uh, wound up at Google. And when I was at Google, obviously as many Fang employees do, you got a lot of free time and a lot of, uh, and you're pretty bored. Uh, and so I spent all of my free time basically sitting on Twitter, chit chatting with like, you know, the Ben Horowitz of the, of the world back when they were active on Twitter, uh, reading tons of tech essays and writing, you know, even my own strategy essays and stuff. And then, uh, producing a ton of music. So I was, it was always kind of like a serious side project. How has music, uh, affected your success in tech? You ever think about that? <laughs> I would say a lot, to be honest. Okay. I mean, like music is, I think one of the things in, in any industry that you're in, you kind of need to need a, you need to stand out. Naval has some quote that's like, nobody can compete with who you yourself. Sam Altman said something else similar, which is like the more radically you are yourself, you are the more, the less people can compete with you. And so music was always something that I, I strongly identified at with. And like, like I have always felt like, or people have always, I've always felt like I was the best of like all of the non-musicians, all the people who didn't take music as a serious career. I was like, mm technically the better because I had all this time at Google to like get good. <laughs> um, but there's some takeaways. So like one really interesting thing is this is a really amazing startup insight from songwriting and production. So there's a rule in production, music production. If you listen to any song, it's really important not to introduce a new element, multiple new elements at the same time. So in the verse, you usually have the drums, you have the bass going and the vocals. And then if you want to add in, add some more stuff to make, go to the next section, you usually don't add more than just like one thing, you know, cause the, the brain can't process things. Right. And actually good production. If you listen to like a lot of Kanye stuff, like whatever, the songs are simple. There are, there isn't a lot going on in them. They're really straightforward. It's usually like five or six elements together. Great startups are the same. You can't do too much. You can't throw a bunch of stuff at, at people. Um, Leo Polovitz had this really amazing uh, tweet the other day where he was saying that um, startups with too many SKUs, too many different products, um, wind up not getting funded as well as startups with fewer SKUs, even if they have the same or even larger recurring revenue. And so it all goes to show that like people are dumb and you need to s simplify things in order to succeed. And so that's mm. what I found. Like whenever I started writing simpler songs, people liked them more. Whenever I uh, find simpler ways to explain what my company does, people are more excited about it. So everything rhymes. There's like, you can, you can learn something from everything. I've even noticed that in the introduction of who you are, um, kind of introducing what launch house is and what you do, you kind of broke it down really, really simply, but in the grand scheme of things, it's much more than that um, as a whole. But if as a primer, that's like it sits at the top and there's branches yeah. to what Launch House is. So actually, what is Launch House? W what are the different branches? Yeah, so I would say there are um, <clears throat> there are three branches. We haven't announced one of these branches yet. But Ooh, uh, okay, uh, all right. what, I'll basically say this and then I'll get into the other two branches. Um, the, the statement I want to make is that we think the, the future of 
of venture capital is at the intersection of capital, content, and community. So I'll talk about the content and community piece. Okay. A lot of tech companies out there, like they have a content guy, they've got a Twitter person, they've got like, you know, like a corporate blog, they, you know, maybe they have a newsletter, maybe they pay some influencers on Twitter to like post their stuff, but none, none of them look at themselves as a media company. And so that's something we really care about because we think that like media is way more powerful and interesting than a content guy, which is why mm. we're like, you know, very lucky to be working with uh, Toby Howell, who got his start kind of writing for the Morning Brew, growing their Twitter account to 300,000 followers. He's now the brains behind um, our operation, which has started with Home Screen, which is a uh, three times a week newsletter that you talk is basically like Morning Brew for tech and crypto. It's just as great. As you can imagine it, it's really funny. It's, you know, topical, very interesting. Um, I'm a subscriber. All, yeah. yeah. So it, it is cool. <laughs> yeah. And then we also have um, uh, other news, uh, events, newsletters in different cities. So IRL, LA, and New York. These are just ways for to kind of engage people and stuff. So that's in longer term, we have ambitions to kind of make this into a more proper, kind of more fully encompassing media operation that goes into video and all this other stuff. But we're really excited about it. We're really excited about taking a uh, media-focused approach to media. You know, we're in, we're in LA, Beverly Hills, Hollywood for a reason. We're going to capitalize on that, on that exposure as much as we can. Um, <clears throat> the community side is the is kind of the main thing that we we focus on uh, house community, if you if you want to call it that. Um, basically, the way to describe it is that there are kind of like two tiers of membership. You can think of it like a membership club. Um, the main tier, the club membership, is what kind of everybody kind of knows knows and loves. You you pay to be get access to these amazing co living experiences in major cities like L.A. Beverly Hills and uh, New York City, Gramercy Park, is, you know, the, the best of the best. Right. You, you get to live for a month with other amazing builders. You have crazy people like the former CMO of Airbnb stopping by or the co-founder of Coinbase or like, you know, top investors or other builders just like showing up at your house for dinner or lunch or brunch or and just to hang out and chat. And obviously it's like the experience is something like a like a um, like an elite dorm. You know, if you've ever went, if you went to a really amazing school, you, you probably remember looking around and being like, oh my God, these are the smartest people I've ever been around. And guess what? After you graduate, you'll never be around them again. We thought that was sad. So we created <laughs> this residency experience. But um, how do you curate uh, elitistness, if that's even a word? How do you, how do you curate an environment like that? Um, I mean, I guess like, how do we, how do we make sure that the people coming in are great? Um, or how do we create an environment that is great? I think so. Well, the only way you're going to get great people is if you have a great environment, right? So they're very much dependent on one another. And yeah. once you have great people, that kind of creates the great environment, but yeah. it's like a chicken and egg problem, right? So either Brett, you're great and you've attracted the right people and your co-founder is great, uh, which is probably a part of it. Uh, but is there, is there more to it? Uh, I would say that's a big part of it. Like, to be honest, like the first few launch houses, it was our networks that we kind of brought in. It was not like a, it, it was not a, it was a mathematical, like, 
you know, they have to score X, Y, Z on this aptitude test, or like they have to have had this pedigree in their live. It, none of that. It was like, who the hell is going to like be dumb enough to like come to Tulum in the middle of the pandemic to like live with us in this house. Like that was the criteria. And, and what happened was somehow it selected for amazing people. Somehow that group of people went on to raise from A16Z, Sequoia, um, Village Global, like a lot of amazing funds funded the companies that came out of that, those first few houses. And also we, people became really good friends. And mm. the, the magic of these group living houses is that they create lifelong bonds better than anything else. Because the secret to like creating deep relationships is unstructured time giving people your time and attention. Time is the most sacred, scarce resource in the world, more scarce than money, more scarce than uh, Bitcoin. Uh, it's the most scarce resource. And if you are giving somebody your time, then it is the ultimate act of, of friendship. And so that's why, you know, we can look at every single person coming into each of these programs and say, you're going to make a, you know, a lifelong friend out of this. And you're going to, make you're, you're going to come to a conclusion or a learning or hit some milestone with your career or product or product or company that is going to fundamentally change its trajectory. And it's, it's deterministic at this point, um, which is really cool. So that's, that's how I'd answer it. It's like, it's, it's, pre, it's a predictably amazing experience, both in terms of like helping people connect and, you know, fill the soft stuff and as well as the hard stuff. So let's talk about unstructured time. That's such an in interesting point because I feel like I spend so much time online and majority of my communities are online. And uh, I feel like I never have unstructured time. I feel like I'm oh, my attention is always being drawn somewhere. How do you cultivate and curate unstructured time? Like what does that actually look like in practice? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> to, be, to be fair, like unstructured time is can be anything from like, I'm sitting and listening to you directly right now for hours and hours and hours and hours. Or it could also just mean we we exist in each other's vicinity. Wait, we're just like coexisting together mm. around each other. They did these studies on, on uh, dorms where they found that people made their best friends based on how close they were to the other person. So they're more likely to be their best, be the roommates more likely to be their best friend or the person next to them in the hallway than somebody two floors down who had much more common interests. Right. So it really is like physical proximity, which drives this kind of like these sort of deep connections. But what's also important is that physical proximity can also unlock these kind of like water cooler conversations where somebody's like, Oh my God, like, have you ever, you know, do you guys use Mongo or something else? And they'll be like, don't use that. It sucks. Mm. And then you're like, oh man, that's helpful. You know, that's <laughs> a conversation. Me a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. So yeah. counterpoint then, Brett, because I spent a lot of time, for example, playing RuneScape growing up. I feel like I've made best friends with people that I've never met in my life. Candid, yeah. I don't know who they are right now, but at the time, okay, I knew them for who they were online. And you could argue if that's a form of unstructured time, but it's not necessarily yeah. like my roommate per se. It's not a, it's not well, a physical experience. Well, it is probably you spent hours a day on RuneScape probably, right? I did. I, you spent I'm hours a day. Of that. Yeah. yeah. 
you spent hours a day on RuneScape, and those were the adventures, you know, back then for you probably, right? Like fight. I don't know how RuneScape works, but if you like fight a boss or something like that, <laughs> it was a passion. It's like it was something. Trying to get a fire cape. That's what yeah, you're trying to do. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think. I mean, this is like is it's funny coming from somebody who's building like an IRL community. Uh, funny for me to say, I totally believe in digital first friendships and like connections. Mm. Um, it really has to do with unstructured time. We, we actually teach, you know, every founder to come, everybody to come through our community, how to use Twitter because it's pretty monumental for career growth. And it's all predicated on the same idea of unstructured time. When a venture capitalist is thinking about investing in somebody, it's all about trust. Trust is all about familiarity. Familiarity is all about repetitive exposure. Repetitive exposure is literally just a matter of showing up in somebody's comments once a week. Facts. You know? Mic drop. I think we can end the podcast yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So community uh, content and capital was the third one, right? Did yes. I get that right? So capital. What is capital? There is some money. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah. Launch house fund. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's what I'm uh, getting at. What's up guys. Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to recognize a couple of our NFT sponsors who are helping make this episode a reality. They are Coinvise and Mint Songs. First up on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we've got Mint Songs, a community curated marketplace for one of one music NFTs minted on Ethereum. Mint Songs connects music lovers and collectors with artists that want to build unique one to one relationships with their fans through music. To join as an artist, you will need to be invited by an existing artist or an existing collector within the Mint Songs community. Check out the artist pioneering the future of Web3 music today by visiting mintsongs.com. All right, back to the episode. Let's pivot the conversation for a sec, okay? Let's talk about organized religion and identity, okay? It's something that you happen to be very public about, which I really respect. Uh, Goldstein, I take it as if you're Jewish. Okay, yep, cool. Absolutely. There it is. Love there it, it is. Remember yes. the <laughs> Let, Let's go. So you're, you're pretty open about religion and uh, your family's stance on it. And I'm not super religious myself. I grew up somewhat religion, uh, religious, excuse me. And I'd argue organized religion is great at establishing tradition. Uh, and it's something that other forms or styles of community lack. How do you actually create tradition? Because I'm Jewish, I don't go to temple, but I celebrate Hanukkah, I do Shabbat dinner, I do these things as a form of tradition, as a form of feeling together, right? As a, as, as, yeah. <laughs> as a form of feeling belong to something. Um, how do you cultivate that in a non type of like religious environment, either digitally or physically? Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, <clears throat> the backdrop is that like, I think a lot of folks, my, like my parents were atheists, like full mm. hardcore atheists. Obviously we were Jewish, so that means we still did all the rituals and stuff, but the, you know, it was like my dad standing up in the synagogue saying, all this is BS, like literally <laughs> verbalizing it, the rabbi being like, what the heck is this guy saying? Um, but the back, the backdrop is that uh, all these, all these atheists kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater when they de declared religion 
uh, being something that is like not valuable. And we're starting to realize that now because we've had gener we've had multiple generations of like lack of religion. And we've also seen increasing isolation. Like the average male has fewer close friendships today than they did uh, than our grandparents' generation. And what we're, what my fear, my theory is that it all has to do with the sense of belonging, that that sense of belonging is declining because of these factors, especially with remote work. Now, nobody is getting their community from the office. And what's happening is people's sense of, like I said, people's sense of community sense of belonging is declining, which is causing all of this societal pathology, so to speak, right? The rise of po political polarization, like extremism, like a lot of this stuff. And so when I think about like the solution to making people feel belonging, it's community. And if you think about the most powerful communities in the world, the ones that have stood the test of time, and more importantly, the ones that have evolved to be optim more optimized than other communities to stand the test of time, if you believe in more natural selection and stuff, it's religions. And so religions all have certain characteristics. It's ritual, it's shared identity, it's shared stories, fables, um, heroes, you know, all this stuff. And so every great community, even if they don't believe that they're a religion or if they say they're a religion as a joke, like, like crypto, Bitcoin, um, they are, they, they are, they do have factors that make them as such, right? Like Satoshi Nakamoto is like this, you know, is the hero, right? Vitalik Buterin is the hero in these, in, in, in that story, in that community. Um, and there's a, there's, there's a mission and there's something we're seeking, which is we're trying to decentralize and we're trying to bring power back to, uh, people and stuff like that. So I think it's just, you know, it's, the, you can go line by line as in what makes something a religion and you can find parallels across everything from CrossFit to Bitcoin to launch house to all that stuff. And so I wouldn't say that like, we're consciously like, you know, taking lines out of the Bible and saying, how, how can we <laughs> copy this? I'm definitely not doing that. We're, it's very natural. Like it's, we're, we're saying, Hey, like, let's just standardize how these co-living residencies work. Oh, like it'd be, it'd, wouldn't it be cool if everybody did the same thing? It'd be, it'd make it, it'd make people feel more connected, more bonded because, you know, the 500 people in our community have all experienced this one thing no matter how benign or stupid it is, if, even if it's like, Hey, like, you know, launch house has like, you know, they're, they're still getting their email stuff together. So like nobody, you know, things, Oh, you experienced that too. Like they've dropped the ball in this email or something could be anything just like this shared experience is something that drives pretty, pretty deep connection. You don't have to call it religion. Something to bond over. Yeah. Yeah. Something to bond over, whatever it may be. So what are the biggest challenges with, cultivating an environment like that because it's a form of human engineering right like you you are it feels like you're not not actually puppeteering uh, a situation but there's an element to it to an extent like you're consistently testing you're trying to see what brings people together i feel like you're consistently measuring the activities that you put together as well and how how connected people have kind of felt either coming into it afterwards you know what yeah. i mean am i on the yeah. right track here yeah. I don't know. I guess I would say <laughs> people have a hard time leaving at the end. Mm. Um, I would say, so I, I guess like I'll, I'll, I'll draw a distinction between 
the in-person residency program, which is what we've, what we've been known for for a while. And then the broader community, um, just like cultivating a, you know, a membership community in general, uh, could talk all day about like how hard it is to cultivate a membership community, working, uh, having members internationally and making them feel just as engaged as people in, you know, in different cities, uh, you know, figuring out how to, you know, f stay focused because communities are basically groups of people. And so you can basically do everything under the sun for your group of people to make them feel happy. So there's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of challenges there in terms of the group living program. I think, um, there are a lot of software founders probably listening or software people probably listening. So this is nothing like software has it's like, like the mm. toilet stop working, right? It's not even a, it's not even a bug you can account for just like stuff will go wrong. That makes no sense, you know? And it's just like, you just have to be ready for that, that type of stuff. And so, you know, that's why we brought in kind of team members who have experience in the, in this type of industry that like, is totally something outside of the software world. I feel like it's like a, it's like a more elitist kibbutz. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. It's a bougie kibbutz. Yeah, it's a bougie sure. kibbutz. That's, that's exactly, yeah. that's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, Wait, that's totally. so funny. All right. A uh, new topic. Okay. Let's talk about more like NFT social tokens, uh, et cetera. Okay. So why do you think tokens have prevailed as a killer medium for building communities and sort of representing identities online, whether it be social tokens themselves, NFTs, et cetera. Yeah, I will, I will rever reverse this and say mm. that I believe that a lot of NFT communities have emerged to drive the value of the NFTs. Communities haven't adopted NFTs because they need, uh, they need NFTs. <clears throat> so the, the way to think of NFTs is just like fine art. A lot of fine art is just like, you can look at a painting and say, what, how the hell is that $10 million? Like I could have made that. And how does an how does, what is the, what is the value driven by all the other bells and whistles? Oh, the story of the artist, like all this other stuff, you know, it's like this and like you're, you're getting whatever. That's how this NFT stuff has worked, right? It's a, it's a photo of a, a bear or a, a monkey or, or a penguin or something. And how are you going to drive that value up? Community is the easiest thing. Access is right. the easiest thing. Oh, you get access to exclusive events. Great. Cool. Now I want in community exclusivity is like the, is the, is a FOMO driver, right? Scarcity, digital scarcity is that's what's what makes NFTs great. You know, it's, it's, it's a match made in heaven. So do NFTs do, do all communities need NFTs? Today, not really. No. In the um, future? I'm really bullish on the promise of crypto, the promise of NFTs and social tokens and all that stuff. We're in a transitionary period where, you know, as every transitionary period goes, the new technology sucks and the use cases aren't incredibly apparent and the, the needs are, are not burning. And it will take a lot of early adopters and a lot of... Um, just a lot of proof points before kind of this becomes the gold standard for every community, because look, I, we can run, you know, why the, the moment YPO decides to get a, get a, um, an NFT membership card is the moment that crypto has made it, but it won't, they won't for a while. That's a uh, YPO, is a, YPO is a website. 
YPO may even have a mobile app. Those two technologies were so important for that community that they decided to go online in, in a mobile. So I'll be interested to see when uh, they adopt crypto. I feel like we've just scratched the surface of what NFTs can and will do. Um, many people see them as a form of digital art. It's just a JPEG, but I see it as a tool. It's a tool to do something. It's a tool to achieve something. It's a tool to bring people together, grow a community, uh, create value, etc. Are there any use cases for NFTs that you've come across being in a house with so many bright minds uh, that have either shocked you um, or something similar? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say one um, one one company that has that actually emerged in Launchhouse. They were originally working on a lip balm company, and okay. then pivoted into crypto membership infrastructure, which is very cool, and they're doing very well. <clears throat> That's so different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're it's a very badass uh, uh, founding duo um, or trio. Um, but yeah, basically, like I think the the pitch is that the future of most businesses is community because as competition increases, which it will for basically every category, because the world's getting bigger, people are getting smarter, it's getting easier to build companies. Competition will increase, and then when competition increases, you need to find better ways to do marketing uh, and to increase kind of like the, your connection with your customers and community is one of the best tools to do that. Community is like, you know, again, go back to religion, like Christianity could sell whatever they want to their community because they are, they're with them for life. Right. And right. so your job as Starbucks is to, to find ways to deeply engage your, uh, your customers, which is why they have loyalty pro points and programs like that. And so, what I think crypto can unlock is kind of the, you know, composability and all that stuff for loyalty programs and membership programs and to make those more accessible and available to like a broader um, range of businesses and communities and stuff. And that's what they're working on. I'm super excited about it. So a lot of what NFTs have actually done are create these digital cities, these DAOs, um, and there's a ton of them. I'm sure you're a part of some, I'm a part of a bunch. And this concept of, of building a digital city is really hot. Uh, I'm curious to hear your point of view. Like, what's the difference between building a physical clubhouse, for example, like, like Launch House, right, to building a digital city? And even more so, what type of infrastructure is required for digital cities to thrive, <laughs> you think? Yeah, I would say, so again, I would describe the phenomenon of NFTs, like, you know, JPEGs on the blockchain turning into communities, membership clubs, to the same pattern of social tokens turning into cities, right? It's in part, it's to increase the value of the asset, right? Of course, you know, I'm going to buy this digital asset so that it, uh, because it's part of, I, I get to be part of this cool city and stuff. It makes me feel like I'm, it's worth a lot more than it is. Um, but I will say that the truth to it is, um, I think what we're seeing is the fundamental building blocks of government kind of emerging. I think that's what's the, the most magical thing about these digital cities or DAOs and stuff like that is that we are seeing voting infrastructure. We're seeing like governance, we're seeing all the policies 
Like we're seeing a lot of this stuff that governments do. And, you know, I'm Balaji was our first investor, actually. Um, the very first check in a launch house and his thesis was if we're investing in us was the network state, which is actually his book just came out this week. Um, which is this idea that, um, the next, you know, he basically said to us that, that like, we are going to be creating new countries at the same rate that we're creating new currencies today. We're going to be creating new countries in the future at a, at a in, in cr crazy speed, right? And that these countries will be digital first and that they'll have these kind of like consulates, like launch houses in different cities around the world, because people still want to hang out in person. Um, so I think what's, I guess my, my TLDR is that like, I do believe that like there's a legitimate, you know, future. And I do believe in Balaji's thesis that like there will be a UN recognized digital nation within our lifetimes, probably in the next 20 years. Um, but I do think some of them are not really like there for the right reasons. Mm. How do we get to a point where we get recognized by the UN? What What's needed? I don't know. Raise an army. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what the UN recognition process is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I, think you, I think you probably need to own land or something like that. I know, I know Praxis and some other um, DAOs and stuff are working on this. Um, but I think it's just like people want to, I think what people underestimate about starting a new country is that America is pretty good already. America's like, is like the stuff that's been happening at the governmental level with the Roe v. Wade stuff, terrible, pretty, pretty disgusting. But on average, people will not leave America. People will not leave this country if they wanted to. Or actually, sorry, the the way to frame it is people don't people don't want to leave this country enough to try to go start a new country, which is why it has mm. to happen digitally. Mm. I think that's a great point to nearly end off on. Before I let you go, I have a fun question for you. Favorite cohort of Launch House? Which one? Um, probably my my first cohort, or my uh, my the first LA cohort, I would say. Um, okay. I was, I part, I personally participated in like six months of cohorts. I was living in the house with everybody else. Um, and I think when we moved to LA for the first time in January, 2021 and kicked off that first cohort there, um, something felt very different, very, felt very special. It felt very like, wow, this is going to be something, um, really big. We felt that during the first two cohorts, but things were so chaotic, like shuffle, shuffling water, you know, during hurricanes in Tulum, we couldn't really see the, see through what the future could look like. But as soon as we got to LA, things were stabilized. Um, we saw the magic and, um, I'll never forget that moment. There it is. Brett, before I let you go, where can we find you? Uh, when are we expecting that third pillar update from launch house, uh, shill it away. You can find me on Twitter, that guy BG. Um, you can also uh, subscribe to our newsletter, home screen, uh, launchhouse.com. And there will be announcements very soon, probably uh, very soon, probably before this airs, I would say. Oh, sheesh. All right. Nice. 
All right, man. Well, thanks for your time. Uh, We'll have to do this again soon. What's up, guys? If you've gotten this far, then I owe you a listener badge NFT. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash poop. That's P-O-A-P and click the respective season. Fill out your info and I'll distribute the free to mint NFT at the end of the season. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. You won't believe it, but it helps me out a ton. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you just simply want to chat. If you couldn't tell already, I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. Thank you so much for your support. It means the world. And we'll catch you on the next episode.